What's up, kinfolk? It's RJ Young. I am not on a step mail. It's the OUinsider.com podcast. I am joined by OU staff writer Colin Kennedy. Colin, you know the vibe, dog. The vibe is college football. The, the vibe is we get OU Missouri State pay-per-view or whatever. I don't really care. Tomorrow, which is a day that I never thought would come. What are you looking forward to most about tomorrow, dude? Uh, just the, the sights and the sounds of college football on my television. It's going to be weird, actually. I keep thinking about this. So, it's the first time in a while that I'll be just watching an OU game from my television. Normally, obviously, I'm down on the field. And while that's seemingly a whole lot of fun, I will not be sweating there as much. And there will be an easier access to the fridge. So, I'm excited, man. I actually got a Big 12 preview dropping tonight or later today, so stay tuned for that. I'm really excited about that. And then, obviously, we're not too far away from kickoff, so it just feels so good to be here. I want all the college football vibes. Yeah, man. Uh, I put together a rundown of sorts, but there were a couple of topics that I just wanted to get to like off the top. Like An interesting question that was posed to me, will a top 25 team lose tomorrow? And I immediately circled Iowa State. And Louisiana, because I, you know, am reminded that Louisiana went 11-3 and last year, and they returned most of that squad. And I'm just intrigued by it. I'm, I'm really fascinated by that as a game. One, to see if Brock Purdy can bring back the goods, to see if all of this buzz that Iowa State is getting as, like, a college football playoff contender, not unlike Miami for some, like, that shocked me last week that Kurt Herstreet was like, yeah, Miami seems like they could get there. And then I watched the Miami game last night. And I'm going, I don't know, man. You guys are letting the Conference USA team just hang. And then they're like, watch this, RJ. We're going to rush for over 300 yards. And we're not even going to have to throw the ball around. So, like, do you have any of those? Do you, do you have a prediction of sorts or a game that you're looking forward to outside of OU Missouri State? I mean, obviously, we've had a couple taken away from us. So that's been kind of a bummer. I was really looking True. forward to TCUS of you being a Dallas-Fort Worth kid. And then the Baylor-Louisiana Tech game was also another – slated uh, scheduled slot that I I really wanted to watch. I mean, Baylor obviously coming into the year with Dave Aranda, Charlie Brewer, Louisiana Tech's usually a really good group of five school. I was pumped about that game. There are some decent ones. I, I mean, I think overall, though, this is just kind of a, a scrimmage exhibition weekend, if you will, even with some of the bigger names. I mean, Notre Dame playing Duke, Clemson playing Wake Forest, some teeter-totter level of competition but in the end man it's college football and I think really you kind of have the one headliner that I just won't wait to have at 11 a.m. on my television Iowa State playing ULL I mean I I don't know if I can still call them Louisiana yet that just feels weird to me but I do think it's a really good football team and they're definitely going to give the Cyclones a challenge no man I heard Al Michaels say Louisiana State University on the broadcast last night as Clyde Edwards Alaire goes for like a buck 28 on like 25 just being who he is and I'm like man you're the only person ever to call them Louisiana State University like you got to go back to the 50s for that and then you know you're talking about Iowa State and ULL Arkansas State and Kansas State got flexed to the 11 a.m. slot because Baylor and La Tech got postponed so I'm probably going to have my eyes on that game just because Oklahoma plays Kansas State September 26th and it's going to be the second time that Arkansas State is on national television in Two weeks, uh, Blake Anderson and, and the Red Wolves got to be feeling a, a little bit awesome about that. Al Green's alma mater stand up. All right, so here's a question that uh, was posed to me that I want to pose to you about OU and Missouri State. How do you feel about the size of the receivers and tight ends on the Missouri State roster? They go 6'4", 6'5", tight end at 6'7". And then, of course, Jaden Johnson is the four-star transfer quarterback from USM. I'm looking forward to seeing him, except, you know, Maybe not against Oklahoma, but the dude can spin it. Like in high school, he was really great. Do you think that there's going to be a problem for Oklahoma in the passing game? Uh, if anything, I mean, this will be a valuable learning experience, right? I mean, I think fans and the national media always love to, to ding on the Sooners for how they sometimes handle sizable wide receivers. I mean, you mentioned these dudes on the perimeter for Missouri State. They are, they're big. I mean, I was stunned going through the depth chart, 6'5", 6'4", 6'3", 6'7", 6'4". I mean, the list goes on and on. There's going to be some big-time perimeter threats, and I think 
Oklahoma obviously has the talent advantage, but this will be a good opportunity to get to know how to handle some of those larger receivers on the outside. And I think Parnell Motley was a guy, even though he wasn't the biggest dude, that you felt comfortable matching up with them. And, I mean, he proved it. T.J. Vasher got locked down. I think going into this year, I mean, how will Trey Brown, how will Jaden Davis, how will Trey Norwood handle themselves against these big framed wide receivers? I think that's going to be something to watch on Saturday. It's not a primary concern, if you will, because the, the ball still has to be dispersed to these wide receivers. But still, I think we're going to be able to learn something about how these things are handled. Absolutely agree. Uh, I think that if you're able to exploit a height advantage against Oklahoma as FCS Missouri State, who went 1-10 and 10 last year with a loss to the same South mm. Dakota team that Oklahoma stomped a mud hole in and walked dry, I'm going to give that to you, right? I'm, if, if that's something you can exploit, you're a much better football team than I thought you were, and Oklahoma's a much worse football team because it's not just FBS versus FCS. It's the number five team in the country, Versus a team that has a first-year head coach, a first-year quarterback, and a bunch of, you know, scrappy kids. But again, they know what it is. Like, it's no secret that this is a pay game for them. So if they're able to cover the spread, I'm going to be amazed, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But to your point about Trey Brown getting tested, I'm really interested to see Jaden Davis take over that starting spot where Parnell Motley once was. But more than that, behind him is Trey Norwood, right? So that position is solidified. Mm -hmm. Behind Trey Brown, you go freshman, freshman. You go Joshua Eaton, Kendall Dennis. I wonder if for whatever reason Trey Brown is hurt or they would choose to pull him out, do you leave the true freshman in and try to get those snaps in or do you move Trey Norwood over there because he hasn't played football in a year? How do you think Grinch might actually mess with the depth chart provided they can put together a nice lead to start the game? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm fascinated to watch as well is how these defensive backs are utilized. Because, look, I, I think we all kind of know what we're in for. Basically, everyone's getting playing time on Saturday. So how does Alex Grinch go about that rotation that he really covered? I think – I'm expecting Trey Norwood to kind of be eased back into the situation. And I wouldn't blame Grinch. He's a little bit cautious with the guy because look, he's an incredibly valuable player and sure right now he may be listed as the back of corner, but maybe he is a starting caliber corner who just hasn't really settled in yet. And then we also have to remember that guy can slide anywhere across the defensive backfield, play safety, play nickel. It's all the same to him. And so making sure that guy's in the rotation some way, somehow, it's a big deal for Grinch this year. And so, as a result, I would expect these freshmen to get a little bit more run come Saturday night. I, I, I think Eaton is the guy who's had some really good remarks. Kendall Dennis, obviously, it was a big-time get for them out of Florida. That speed that they really covet. And then, I, who knows what else is going to happen when it comes to how these DBs will be swapped. I mean, the nickelback position with Jeremiah Cordell. I, I would assume they'd really want to get that guy some opportunities in games after he was kind of limited with that red shirt year a season ago. So uh, again, a lot of guys are going to see the field this weekend, but I would assume that the younger guys err on the more side of opportunity as Grinch tries to make sure that his seasoned veterans and really pivotal players are maintaining some health, especially in these kind of crazy times. So I want to pivot from that to a question that I posed to you in the rundown, uh, which is the player that you're most excited to see against Missouri State. Who do you most want to see on the football field on Saturday night? Yeah, I, I think I'm taking the easy way out here, but I'm just still fascinated by it. I mean, Anton Harrison starting at left tackle is a true freshman. I think he's a guy with a ton of ability. And obviously, I think everyone kind of expected going into the camp that it was going to be Eric Swenson and Stacey Wilkins' job to battle for. But that being said, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit because I think last year the left tackle spot was probably the biggest weak link in the offense of 2019. And I look, that's not a slide at anyone. I, I always felt like R.J. Proctor is a really good player, but I felt like he was more of a guard. And then I felt like Eric Swenson – he had the opportunity to be pretty solid, but I always felt like he was more of a right tackle. I didn't know if he was really up to the blind side kind of things. And then both players were sort of forced to play that position. Well, 
I feel like Anton Harrison is actually a guy who can slide into left tackle and be comfortable. I mean, he already has the size, already running, what, 6'5", 330 plus, good wingspan, good broad shoulders. I mean, he's got the body type to really man that position. And Stacey Wilkins is probably the other guy that could give him a real run for his money. I just think this is an opportunity to give Eric Swenson a more proper positional fit. I think it's an opportunity to kind of let Stacey Wilkins know that nothing is given, it's all earned. And then I think if Anton Harrison is really what he's all about, we're going to get to see a little bit of that this weekend against Missouri State. Yeah, again, it's not the highest competition level, but for this guy, a true freshman, this is his first glimpse at big boy football. So this is actually a very key and pivotal learning experience for him. And I think we're all going to get to observe that, analyze it. And on the other end, we're going to really see what Oklahoma has with left tackle spot and get a greater sense of how he's going to handle that KSU matchup coming up very shortly afterwards. I don't care who plays left tackle. I just want to see the left tackle play because, like you, I'm going, okay, you move a guard over to left tackle because Eric Swenson's getting his butt kicked. Like, he got destroyed by an FCS defensive end at South Dakota. Now, that kid was All-American, but still, he got absolutely manhandled. And that's the only weak link on this offensive line. Everybody else is a returning starter, and everybody else projects to the NFL. You move Swinson over to back up Adrian Ely. And now you're talking about starting a true freshman at left tackle, which means that if that happens, Anton Harrison starts tomorrow night, he becomes just the third true freshman offensive tackle in the history of school to get that job. The others being Drew Samia in 2015 against Akron. And then Wade Miller, I wrote this down. I wrote about this on OUinsider.com, but it was 1946. That's a Jack or Jim, not Jack. That's a Jim Tatum squad. Went eight and three, finished number fourteen in the country. Got a Gator, a Gator Bowl win against North Carolina State. And of course, we know that 2015 team won the conference championship, made it to the playoff, got beat by Clemson. So, like, either Anton Harrison is that good and that talented coming out of National Christian Academy, or OU is up a creek, man. Like, mm. I. This should have been, for me, this should have been Stacey Wilkins' job. Like, all the buzz about him last year, all the buzz about him being the dude that picked OU over Arkansas. He's from close by. I always wanted to see Bray Walker out there, but apparently Bill Biedenboe wants to have him at guard, and he's backing up left guard. He might be able to flex out next year. Who knows? And I see Andrew Rame is also on that too deep, which is also pretty cool. But, like, if you got to start a true freshman at left tackle— I've never thought of that as a good thing, and I've never thought of a dude being that talented. I mean, for perspective here, even Trent Trent Williams didn't start as a true freshman. He started as a redshirt freshman. So, like, either Anton Harrison really is that good or Oklahoma really is that screwed. And, I, you know, I don't know that we're going to find out the answer to that question against Missouri State for obvious reasons, but against K-State, where they know how to manipulate their defense, where they know how to— force you into making mistakes where they understand that they can beat you after what they did last year. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about that offensive line, but the dude that I absolutely want to see play the most is Marcus major. That's another guy that came to Oklahoma with a tremendous level of hype. And from whom I've been talking to folks inside the program is that guy, right? He's going to be that good. He just needs to get his opportunities And I see no better opportunity than the one he has right now. Ramondre Stevenson is out. So you're talking about TJ Pledger being the starter. And then you're talking about Seth McGowan. One of those guys is going to have that Trey Sermon role of closer. And if it's not Marcus Major, I have questions, right? If it's Seth McGowan, great. But I have questions if it's not Marcus Major. And anytime somebody compares you to Adrian Peterson, they're doing you at a disservice. But that's what it is for him, right? And he's got the weight of this state on his shoulders, right? In the same way that Creed Humphrey... And Pat Fields have the weight of the state in that they are the captains of this 2020 team. In a year in which it just sucks to be a college football player, right? Uh, get, uh, compared to any other year. You have Tulsa and Shawnee captaining your teams. And you have a potential breakout star coming out of Millwood, Oklahoma City. The Falcons standing up at tailback. Like, I want to see him play. And I want to see just how many run attempts Lincoln Riley's willing to give these guys at a time when everybody's hoping to see Spencer Rattler spin it. He might not actually get to spin it until Big 12 play just because they might be able to maul people. So 
What do you think about Marcus Major being that dude that I want to see the most? I, I think you're right on here, and I think, obviously, we've talked about him in podcasts past. This dude has had so much hype within the state of Oklahoma, and he arrives on campus and suffers that unfortunate injury. And from my perspective, I've always kind of mentioned, okay, the guy has all the talent in the world, but that we still haven't seen him play big boy football very much, and we still have yet to see how well he recovered from that injury a season ago. So this is a very big opportunity for Major to kind of update us on where he's at from both a physical and mental standpoint. So I, I agree 100%. Major, this this game probably means a lot more to him than maybe some of those other running backs. Obviously, Seth McGowan is going to probably get some run as that true freshman that they're going to need from a depth perspective. But Major will get out there and have to essentially prove himself. And so... I'm excited to see what he can provide. If all of the hype is true, then maybe the losses of Kennedy Brooks and Trace Herman aren't as bad as some might perceive. But still, I mean, we just got to figure out where this guy is right now in his football career. And I think Saturday is going to provide that exact type of update. Man, I'm hoping, right? I want to see everybody on the depth chart play. And then I want to see everybody on the three and four deep play. I really want to see everybody get an opportunity to play in this game. One, because they deserve this opportunity after what they have been through just in 2020. But two, because you're really going to have to be able to ask guys to do a number of different things just because the COVID positives are not going away. You're going to have them. Oklahoma is put in a drop-dead period of maybe we won't be able to play a football game on Fridays where they have to be able to tell the Big 12, we have 53 players eligible to play. So we're going to play at a time when I know I'm certain we're not going to see all of the team play tomorrow. And a lot of those dudes would probably be guys that we would expect to get some run, whether it be special teams or in garbage time, just because of COVID stuff. So I'm interested to see which one of those guys it is, because this is just a wild year to try to put together a competitive football team. All right. The next question that I had on the rundown was what's a successful second year look like for Grinch? Where are you on that? Yeah, I think the biggest thing here is the easy answer is the turnover margin, right? I mean, it just simply was not where Grinch wanted it to be a year ago. And he mentioned it. It, it looked bad coming in and creating the turnover margin and then just not creating those opportunities. Now, I think he was kind of slowing himself short because I firmly believe the guy did an outstanding job given what the position that he was in and what he was able to accomplish. But that being said, I mean, if you're going to build essentially your entire defensive schematics off of one concept, you better make sure that that's constantly in the highlight reel at the end of the football game. And so with Grinch going into the season, he loses Parnell Motley, probably his best down corner. He loses Kenneth Murray, a guy who can be disruptive all over the field, whether it's rushing the passer and trying to create some forced fumbles or whether it's trying to pop the ball out in the run game. And then Neville Gallimore as well up on the defensive front. Bottom line here is he loses a lot of effort and, and leadership kind of guys who tried to facilitate what Grinch was preaching. And so he's now going to lean on some of these new guys to make sure that message is constantly heard. I think Trey Brown will definitely take it upon himself. You saw Pat Fields time and again try and strip the ball. In fact, he did it on one or two occasions against Baylor, which helped lead that comeback. Maybe that's one of the reasons, several reasons, why he's now a team captain. And so for me, I think success would have to be first based off of the, the turnover margin. And then I'm really interested in the tackles for loss, RJ. I mean, at one point during the, the year last year in immediate availability, I can't remember what he called himself, but Grinch called himself like a tackles for loss lover or a tackles, tackles for, for loss, loss freak. That was his word. Yes, his that's word what it freak. is. He was a tackles for loss freak, and he still is. But the bottom line here is he's losing Neville Gallimore. He's losing Dylan Falmatu. He's losing Q Overton. He's losing Kenneth Mann. He's losing Kenneth Murray. And he's lost Caleb Kelly. So you're losing a ton of dudes in that front seven who can create those tackles for loss. So how is he going to combat that? How is he going to rack up those taxes for loss with some depth concerns on the defensive front 
and at linebacker. I think that they have some guys who could really do it well, but overall, as we've mentioned, I mean, some younger dudes and some position changes that are going to be forced to try and make that happen. So those would be the two things in terms of the statistical book I'm keeping my eye on when it comes to measuring the success rate in year two of Alex Grinch. I think it's the only way that you can measure success in 2020 because of so many new parts and so many moving parts. Because as Grinch said earlier in preseason camp, our depth chart has not been the same one day that I've been at Oklahoma, either because guys are out playing other guys or because injuries are just happening. He's not had a full strength team. And this is another year where he won't like last year. He didn't have the services of Trey Norwood and John Michael Terry later in the year this year. He was without Jalen Redmond and Kennedy Brooks, or excuse me, with, well, let's just go with Jalen Redmond to start, and Marcus Hicks and Justin Harrington to begin with. We'll get to the opt-outs in a little bit, but like I'm looking at that 24 takeaway mark. I have that circled. I'm going to be counting the takeaways because Grinch is the dude who had a mathematical paper commission to find out how many takeaways equal how many wins, and he found that the formula was no matter what you do offensively, if the defense comes up with 24 takeaways, you'll get to nine wins, right? And for Oklahoma to get to 24 takeaways and to have a top 25 defense across the board, right? Not in a garbage statistic like total defense, but in turnover margin, in points allowed, in interceptions, in tackles for losses, you're saying, that have a bunch of kids that are chasing sacks. That's what I'm going to be looking for because you're also dealing with this at a time when, again, no Ronnie Perkins. You have 12 and a half sacks from a 25 and a half sack team last year that ain't playing, right? Against Missouri State and probably against the first three opponents that you face at a minimum in Big 12 conference play. So where are those takeaways going to come from? They're going to have to come from Pat Fields. They're going to have to come from Trey Brown, Jaden Davis. Like the strength of this OU football team is its offensive line with those four returning starters and that secondary. You're not going to be able to just force Brian Asamoah, Deshaun White to be those guys. I think you're asking a lot of a dude like Isaiah Thomas to step into that void as well. I think you're asking a lot of guys like Marcus Stripling. Though they have the talent, they just didn't get the reps, at least on the field. And we also know what this looks like in January, right? Because we're right to look at guys that aren't playing a lot who will say, fine, I'll go to SMU, Tidy Armin. I'll go to Arkansas, Levi Draper. I'll go to Prairie View A&M. Troy James. I'll go to East Carolina. Ryan Jones. Like, these are all guys that you wanted and could could still use right now particularly, right? Like, I look at that defensive <laughs> line depth and I'm going, wait a second. Zacchaeus McKinney is, is, is number three on the depth chart? That dude's played one football game in three years. This is where you're at? Oh, no. And we, we also know that if you have defensive tackles, you have nose guards, you're going to win a bunch of football games. Like, Neville Gallimore came on last year. That's why that line was good, right? Because he could split them. Because he could create that havoc, and he could keep Kenneth Murray Jr. clean. What is Grinch going to do? Like, that's, that's my question. Is like, what are you going to do with the mix matching that you're going to have to do to get to those 24 takeaways? So do you think that I'm sounding the alarm too loudly here? No, that's exactly right. And I would also further this. Like, the 24 takeaway number is really applicable right now because I think so often we get lost in team rankings and defensive statistics. We compare, okay, Oklahoma's at 26, whereas maybe Ohio State's at four. And then you just, you're constantly trying to go off of these various rankings that really aren't applicable in their own right. But now more than ever, as basically several squads aren't actually playing football, these whole team rankings when it comes to defensive statistics are going to mean absolutely nothing. So now it's like, okay, what can you put on paper? What can I look at and know that that is exactly what I need to see? 24 takeaways and something like that. If you can go off of, okay, X number of tackles for loss, that's this number upgraded from a season ago, then that's verifiable measuring that this defense is improving. So I guess – to sum it up, I would just say now more than ever, I mean, Grinch can't go off and say, hey, we finished 11th or 10th in the nation in total defense because, okay, that's great. But, I mean, there aren't very many teams playing anymore. So 
So now you have to say, okay, we would have finished 10th if the whole pool was playing because we got to the 24 or we got to this number of tackles for loss. Hopefully that makes sense, but I want to see some of those verifiable numbers that you're talking about. And I think that number 24 that you bring up is exactly one that I think Sooner fans can really measure moving forward. No, man, uh, 100% on the statistics. Like, we're going to have such a difficult time just trying to contextualize what's going on on the field because there are only 76 yeah. teams in FBS playing, right? Like, the, the worst you can be is 76, which is middle of the road, right, in any other year. Now we're going to look at a top 50 ranking and be like, wait a second, hold on, you're only better than 26 other teams. Let's, let's, let's stop that. So, yeah, I'm interested to see how we all, as a college football media, contend with how to say, hey, they're good or they're not, which means that we're probably going to lean on the teams that we already think are good, which I hate. But we'll, we'll talk about that as we continue on through the season. I wanted to get to the opt-outs, right? Because mm-hmm. not having Kennedy Brooks means not having – not just your proli- most prolific running back of the OU or the Lincoln Riley era, but in school history. Like he had an opportunity to join Adrian Peterson, Samaj P. Ryan, and I want to say like Damon Parker, somebody in there, as being able to rush for 3,000 yard seasons uh, in three years, some stupid number like that. And he was averaging seven plus yards per carry up there with Greg Pruitt for best all time. And then on the other side of the ball, Jalen Redmond choosing to opt out this year does not mean that he doesn't come back next year. It just means he doesn't play football in 2020 for a number of reasons, not the least of which is DUI arrest, battle of COVID. He's had health issues with blood clots in the past. It's just not a good environment for him. And this gives him an opportunity to write himself, come back next year, and probably make himself into what we think is a first-round draft pick. But how do you think those two opt-outs are going to affect OU, not just against Missouri State, but through the course of this year? Yeah, I think we've both been pretty vocal about just how massive these losses are. And I think if I were to be asked, okay, pick one of the two that would be the most impactful, I would argue it's Jalen Redmond, no question. When you lose your leading sack getter, you lose a top three tackles for a loss for a quarter, you lose a guy who can help bail out some of these other pieces of defensive line who are trying to settle in, draw attention away from them. And he's a guy that can honestly help facilitate success in year two for Alex French. With that presence gone and Ronnie Perkins still kind of in that difficult situation, I mean, it really leaves it up to like Perry on Winfrey right now to step in and fill in for the production of both of those guys. So, Redmond was going to be the dude who helps Oklahoma get through that stretch of however long Perkins was going to be out. And he was going to be fairly dominant. I mean, again, the guy had first-round selection written all over him. But now he vacates a, a position where you really need someone to step up, especially in the heart of that defense now that Neville Gallimore is gone. LeBron Stokes is really going to have to produce this year. I think we can talk about Kennedy Brooks. Yes. I have said it time and again. To me, that dude is like a galloping first down. He makes it look like he's jogging in a nice summer's park. But I get like 8.9 yards of carry sometimes in a game is just average for him. And it's a huge loss. But I also err on the side of confidence when it comes to losing an offensive player because of who's calling the plays, right? I mean, Lincoln Riley's going to find a way to scheme guys open and make sure that these young running backs are put in a position to succeed. So as a result, man, both of them are just huge losses. And I think in the grand scheme of things, if you're asking me, okay, which one's really going to hurt Oklahoma moving forward, I would err on the side of Redmond because, man, they just really needed that guy on the defensive line. I'm not sure which one is going to be a bigger impact because I would be with you on Redmond if Trey Sermon wasn't at Ohio State. Right, If you could go mm-hmm. four deep at tailback, then I would probably go with Redmond because I already like we've written extensively about the depth issues on the defensive line, and we've written somewhat extensively about what the problem is at running back, which is basically you had to do that was suspended, you had to do the transferred, you had to do that opted out. That's three tailbacks, right? Three tailbacks you'd have in a normal year. So I'm interested to see because... 
because we have a history of watching OU tailbacks get hurt for missing large portions of the season, can you keep them all healthy? Because I don't think you can. And if you can't, who do you drop back there? Is it Jeremiah Hall? Is it Mikey Henderson? Is it a wideout like Brian Darby who used to play some running back? Like, what are your options on that front? So I'm going to go with tailback there because a luxury item was Kennedy Brooks, right? Like, that's how he was treated in 2018. It's kind of how he was treated in 2019. This year, you were absolutely going to make him the bell cow and just try to ride him as much as you possibly can because you already knew you were going to be without Ramondre Stevenson for what is turning out to be about 40% of the season. So now that that's no longer true, yo, I'm going to go with tailback. And, and I, I would love to be able to say the defensive line because they really need help over there. But I, I'm going to go with tailback, and I just don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm going to be wrong just, just because law averages says somebody's going to get hurt. Or what do you think? Oh, uh, well, look, I mean, hey, I'd be lying to you if I said I, I didn't know exactly what you're talking about, right? I mean, the list goes on and on of key injuries at running back for the Sooners, and time and again it has proven just how important it is to have depth, especially in Lincoln Riley's system at that position. So, I, I again, I think the world of these two guys, I think Kennedy Brooks is sometimes vastly underrated maybe even a little bit taken for granted. And maybe this season kind of exposes that. And then at the same time, you just sit there and you see a guy like Redmond leave and you're thinking to yourself, how in the world is this defensive line going to survive without Perkins and that guy? I, I have no clue. I think Perron Winfrey is going to really have to step up. And I think those young running backs, like you mentioned, I mean, not only will they have to, do their part, but they're going to have to make sure that they're doing their part consistently and staying on the field. So it puts a lot of guys in pressure situations. It's unfortunate all the way around, but at the same time, like I said in the past, I'm never going to judge a guy for making a decision that he feels is the best for his future. It's just in the now and present, guys are going to have to figure it out without him. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Goodness. I do not envy them. Except I sort of do, but not really, right? Because I've always thought that, you know, when when it's wartime, I'm at my best. Like, quarantine period, it, it was a good time for me because I was just like, cool, I know how to create utility here. I know how to make myself valuable. Let's do that. And I want to continue to talk about Missouri State for a little bit longer than I want to pivot to some larger college football issues. But I asked this question, and I'm asking this question with all sincerity. How does Missouri State win? Okay, so Missouri State wins if they get the ball and they wait to snap the ball until about two or three seconds are left on the play clock, and they pick up exactly four yards every single play. No more, no less, precisely four yards. They do that every single time en route to a touchdown on every single drive. And if that happens, Missouri State wins the football game. That's the only explanation that I could have. All right, so now now I get to go into story time because you've just, just no seriously, uh, like this. That's I'm going to tell you why you're brilliant. So in 2003, I'm a true freshman at Booker T. Washington High School, at a time when Booker T. had Robert Meacham at wide receiver, who ended up going to Tennessee, having a career with the New Orleans Saints and uh, I think a couple other squads, and Felix Jones in the backfield as a sophomore right, who ends up at Arkansas, mm. plays for the Cowboys for a little bit. We had a dude by the name of Keith Marshall who ended up playing D1 football. I forget where exactly. Adrian Bradley went to UNLV. Starting cornerback just took a scholarship to Bacon. Like, that team had 11 dudes sign Division One letters of intent, right? It was stacked. It was awesome. And I remember uh, Quentin Chaney was also on that squad, right, as a junior. Like, it's is stacked. We were really good. So we get a state championship game. And we're playing against Rafe Watkins' Guthrie. And we're going to destroy them. Okay? We're at Boone Pickens. We feel good about it. They're about to get destroyed. Rafe Watkins ran an I-formation big set with a quarterback my size. I'm about 5'5", five, five, about 130 pounds, right? I'm a lightweight. And they sincerely quarterback ran it 
like a modified sneak every single down and ran the clock. We lost that game 13 to 3. That was how we lost the state championship. So when you told me that, I was like, oh God, that's actually on the table. Like Missouri State isn't on the same caliber of I think that Guthrie team, because that Guthrie team was actually really good and they were really good defensively, right? Like that's another thing that gets missed about that that game, because everybody's focusing on time of possession. Like if you asked me, I would have told you that Guthrie had had the ball for 45 minutes. Like it was army to the 10th power because they were not lining up with any sort of urgency. You'd see two, one snap, and I'm going, wait a second, can they do that? Well, RJ, they're doing it. So like, (laughs) yes, I'm with this as a strategy. So basically what you're telling me is you're going to pick Missouri State to win the football game now. That's what you're saying. Yes, is uh, (laughs) if they can do that. If they're doing what you... If they're doing what you suggest, and what I saw worked against the most talented high school football team I've ever seen with my own two eyes, yeah, yeah. I mean, because, like, I would put that Booker T team up against any team in the country. I swear to you. Like, St. Thomas Aquinas, Miami's Booker T, Modern Day, St. John Bosco, Long Beach Poly, DeSoto, Allen. I don't care. Like, that team was so stupidly talented, and you took away the one thing they did well, which is... Go fast and score a bunch of points. Can't go fast, you don't have the ball. And then defensively, they were all bend, don't break, but they could get you in the third down situations, and if you couldn't convert, you had even more pressure because you knew that they were going to run the clock if they got the ball back. That's why it was harrowing for Power 5 schools to play Army, right? Because you know you have to score every time you get the ball because they're going to keep it for longer than you're going to keep it because they're a running football team, and if you can't create a, a margin... You're screwed, right? Remember, that Army team took Oklahoma into double overtime at home. Mm -hmm. So, like, yes, if Bobby Petrino has that sort of discipline, but knowing what we know about Bobby Petrino, I don't see him running out there with that kind of a a scheme. I just don't. I, I would love to because, like, wouldn't it be great if you could be like, no, not only we cover the spread, we beat them. Like, what would the college football world do with that? Especially if, as you're watching replays. Because, like, a lot of other things would have to go right. You know, like, Spencer Rattler would probably have to have three, four interceptions. Probably have to have two or three fumble recoveries that go Missouri State's way. Maybe you get a special teams play. Like, there's a number of other things that have to work there. But, yes, I had not thought about that. Because, like, when I was thinking this question out, I was like, I don't know, maybe they're just better than we think they are. You know, maybe it's just... Jane Johnson is really that good. But no, now that you have mentioned this as an idea, I am gonna have I'm gonna have severe nightmares. Cause that was that, that was I still like and you have to remember for me, going to Booker T, they they hadn't won a state championship since 1984. And that was the best team that we ever had. Now they win a state championship, I want to say 2007, like the year after I graduate. But yeah, like I remember just being so salty. Cause, and then to look back at that team and see how many pros were on it and to see how many, how many <laughs> great Big 12 and, and SEC players were on it, you're like, how? And, you know, Rafe Watkins ends up being one of the, the better high school football coaches in the state of Oklahoma. So, like, well, full credit is due to him. All right. Now that I have lived that nightmare over again, thank you so much, Colin. Uh, God, where did you come up with You're that? You're welcome. Where did you come up with that? Uh, my old high school coach back in the day, shout out to my old offensive coordinator, Greg Cranville. We used to get graded by our, quote, productive plays. And a productive play was precisely four yards or more. And we were a base I form. We ran it left. We ran it right. And our, our version of an exciting play was 38 toss to the outside. And I will never forget being in meeting rooms early in the morning as he waved around his pointer and said, four yards, productive play, and then scratched in a check mark or screamed at us when we picked up like two. And so then you just remember these old days of four yards, productive play, four yards, productive play, mix it in with a little bit of clock. I mean, I'm telling you, that's an offensive recipe for success. So, if I were an offensive coordinator, that's exactly what I would be doing, too. Goodness. All right. So now is the time in which I ask 
again, sincerely, for you to name the score. Because, you know, the books that were brave enough to put up a line on this game have it at about 40 and a half, right, as the spread. That's a big number. And for perspective here, Texas is given 43, right? They're, they're laying 43 against UTEP, right? Missouri State's laying 40 and a half. Like, what? what? Okay, fine. So, like, what do you think the score is going to be when the clock strikes zero? Oh, this is tough. Um, I, I, I definitely feel like Oklahoma is going to cover. I know that's, that's tough to say, but, I mean, it, it's just not a good football team they're facing. And I have a lot of confidence in some of the talent that's on OU's roster against this specific matchup. So I would, I would say... I would say somewhere in like the the 56 to maybe like 10 range. I mean, it's, I just don't think Missouri state scoring more than 17 points in the football game. So with that being in my mind, I'm picking OU on the 40 and a half. And I feel like Oklahoma can put up mid to high fifties. So that's what probably my ballpark guesstimate would be like. See, this is really a conversation to have with Lincoln Riley about. So, Lincoln, you you, you understand there there are those of us that uh, have a little bit of interest in this game outside of whether or not you win it, right? Because if I was talking to Jimbo Fisher, I got full faith. They're going to cover and then some. Because Jimbo will call timeout in the fourth quarter, up 39, to make sure that he gets us that field goal that puts us over the top, okay? Like, Jimbo understands there are a few of us that uh, see some significance in this number, sir. Okay? You know, there's the, you know uh, this is not the time to play the under, Lincoln. Okay? So in the third quarter, if I see you just running the football, I'm, I'm going to be like, yo, man, we talked about this. We, we talked about this. All right? <laughs> the number is the number. Okay? And if they get close to the number, I need you to go back and turn it back up. All right? I need you to hit that dial. Because we have data to show. Lincoln Riley ain't necessarily interested in looking out for his people. You know what I'm saying? He ain't interested in looking out for the rest of us. Like, I understand you want to run the football. I understand you don't want to embarrass nobody. But, damn it, man, the number's 41. Okay? The number's 41. So if you're up 42 nothing, cool. Do whatever it is you want to do. Okay? But as soon as they score three points... Hey, 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 we got to get it back, and you got to fire these people. Like, hey, some of us got to pay that rent on the first of the month. I'm saying, no. Okay? I'm saying, no. Like, <laughs> if you got a form to come to Jesus circle that you did in the first quarter against Alabama, you down 28 nothing. let everybody know, hey, RJ's dependent on this. We got to go out there, and we got to get three points right quick with 12 seconds left on the clock, then that's what needs to happen. All right? Like, the Wonderkin stuff aside— this is this is not this don't 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 play don't don't play with the mortgage okay don't play with the mortgage right now Lincoln okay some some of us can't afford to lose this place that we got over over your shenanigans. Say hey Lincoln, I mean student loans are real, my guy. Let's, hey, let's go ahead and keep that in mind. I mean, you know, like come on, man, like we're not even asking you to give us your money. Just you know, we're trying to trying to double ours. You know what I'm saying? Trying Look to, out for ours. Yeah, so, come on now, you know, help us out, yo. Know? Like this is this is this is how we know you in, right? This is how we know you understand. And this is when it comes back to trying to, you know, go to bat for you, we can remember, yo man, he covered. Great great teams cover. Okay? Good teams win, great teams cover. You understand, Lincoln? And and Missouri State, same for y'all. Okay? Once this gets out of hand, ain't, 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 ain't no need for you to leave them starters out there. Nah, baby. Nah. You don't want to get nobody hurt. Just go ahead and no, sit them down. I saw a bunch of redshirt freshmen at that quarterback position. Let's go ahead and get them some run. All their moms want to see them throw the ball a little bit. Hey, you know what I'm saying? Get the water boy in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> Put those athletic trainers in some pads. Get them some run. They got eligibility left. It's fine. You know, I'm sure you're going to have one or two people on the sideline that just got press pads to be like, hey, you guys want to you wanna call the play? Go ahead. Call any play you want. doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm, you know, RJ is, is watching this game. We want to make sure that we call, you know, m- maybe maybe that one play where we get sacked 15-yard loss and fumble and scoop and score. Call that one. Call, call that one, Bobby. All right. 
So now that I've had my jokes with that, because, like, what score? I mean, like, if it's 56 to 14, cool. That's perfectly mundane. You know, that's 42 points. That covers. Let's go 56-14. Let's do that, right? Because I, I, there's so many ways this can go, because you want to get guys opportunities. You want to have Tanner Mordecai get as many reps as you possibly can. You want to give him an opportunity to throw the ball around. I mean, Riley was talking about how bad he felt that he – can't get Mordecai more reps at a time when, you know, he probably would have got more reps and made it a closer battle. So I'll be interested to see if even Tanner Schaefer gets some run because he's a redshirt senior. It's going to be his last opportunity to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I- I'm going to go 56 to 14. All right. I want to do a little around college football segment to, to end here. And I want to start with Wyatt Davis, offensive lineman at Ohio State, opted out. The same day that Ryan Day posted a message on Twitter asking why can't his kids play as it's really weird in Ohio right now because Cincinnati's playing, right? They're playing high school football in Ohio. Cincinnati Bengals are playing. Everybody but Ohio State in the state of Ohio, save the Toledo, is playing, right? Because the MAC canceled fall football. And then we had Rutgers president give an interview to Steve Politi at uh, NJ.com. I think it's the Star-Ledger is the newspaper, where he said, no, I don't want to play football. And if I'm erring on the side of caution, it turns out to be that I'm wrong to do it. I'm not going to feel bad about that. And then he added, I don't think I'm wrong, though. I don't think we should be playing football. I don't think that it's safe to play football. I don't think that I can keep anybody safe under these circumstances. And you basically have the Big Ten becoming the Big Eight zombie version with eight teams that want to play and six teams that don't. And we've had so much conversation about this because as media members – you're either, hey, why don't you want to play college football? It pays your bills. Of course I want to play college football, but not at the expense of somebody getting hurt. And I think we have the worst possible outcome that we could have, which is little over half the teams are playing. Little over half the teams are not. If everybody was not playing, we could all be collectively pissed, but we'd all be pulling in one direction. If everybody chose to play, people like me would be like, I don't think this is a great idea. But it would have an opportunity for everybody to try to figure out that they can't do it or they can do it. And it would probably have strengthened the sport. As it is today, I think we're so splintered that this weakens the sport. This is the weakest that I've ever seen the sport. Because there are people that don't feel good about rooting for college football in the same way that they feel good about rooting for the NFL or the NBA or the NHL or the WNBA. Because the kids don't have as much agency. So they've opted out because... They're saving themselves, or they make money next year. So, like, what do you think about the first opt-out that we saw at Ohio State and this idea that the Big Ten is wants to play football come October? Yeah, I, it's not necessarily the best look in the world. This, the same day that your head coach basically begs for an opportunity to play football, one of his players says, go oh, that ain't happening, I'm out of here. I, I think... Look, I think I've been pretty vocal through this process. I am by no means an expert in any of this stuff, and I'm not going to be one of those guys who changes his Twitter app to one of them egg things and just start ragging on people for absolutely no reason because suddenly I have a a doctorate degree. I, I just don't know really what the right answer is, and I think a lot of us don't know what the right answer is. That being said, I mean, I am all for finding the best way to go about allowing these players and coaches the opportunity to go play the sport that they love while also upholding some of the financial obligations that this sport allows for not just the athletic department, the entire universities in general. Now, I understand that there's a lot at risk. There's the liability factor. And I know there are a lot of people with hair that is a little bit grayer than mine who don't want to necessarily deal with a bunch of young dudes' medical bills. I get it. But at the same time, I mean, it's just, there's not a right way to do this, so let's go ahead and try and attack some normalcy if we know that we can go about it the right way. I I don't blame any Ohio State players for opting out because, I mean, let's go ahead and face it. These guys have been in the dark for the entirety of this process. They have no idea what the future holds. I mean, their head coach has no idea what's going on right now. So what makes you think these guys are just going to sit and wait 
for something to happen. Those guys are way too talented and they have too much ahead of themselves to just sit on their hands and allow someone else to make their decisions for them. So I give props to anybody who decides to say, you know what? We don't really know the right answers right now. If that's the case, I know what the right answer is for me, and I'm going to go ahead and capitalize on this. So I just hope that in the end we find the right course of action. We'll see what happens this weekend. We've already had a bunch of postponements and cancellations. I think you mentioned some of your biggest fears. Just my biggest fear is getting to the midpoint of college football season and having to shut this thing down. So my biggest grievance now is like if, if – if that's the course action we have to take, then then maybe there are people like that Rutgers guy saying, look, it's just not worth it. But I don't know, man. I think that there's a right, right way to go about this. And if people aren't going to go about it the right way, like honestly, some of the Big Ten leadership has, then these, these players need to take it upon themselves to go ahead and showcase the fact that they can make decisions on their own. Dude, I hit 2020 bingo on the card yesterday. Because Bob mm. Bowlesby came out here saying, I don't believe in cancel culture. I'm like, wait, hold up, time out. What? That I win. I win. I got a sitting league commissioner to use the phrase cancel culture when talking about whether or not to play football or sports, really. Like I was expecting a pro commissioner to say that, but for Bob Bowlesby to say that on the Paul Feinbaum show in reference to, I wanted to get all the facts, I wanted to try to play football, you could have said that without saying cancel culture because, yo, Bob. That ain't what that actually means. So who are you getting your notes from? Whoever you got your notes from, Bob, did you a disservice, Bob. Because there are those of us that actually, you know, live in the 21st century and talk to people in the 21st century who know what that phrase means. And uh, I have never heard a worse use of the phrase cancel culture. I'm like, okay, that means we got to retire it, right? Just like when, 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 when some people were talking about Becky had to retire that. Karen, gonna have to retire that. You know what I mean? Uh, on fleek, had to retire that. Ratchet, had to retire that. I think we gotta retire uh, cancel culture because Bob Bowlesby out here talking about cancel culture in reference to playing football. And I'm like, did anybody ask you? So like, when I heard that, I had to go back and listen to it to make sure I wasn't getting it out of context. And I'm not. He really thought cancel culture was about canceling football. To which, I've never seen this side of Bob Bowlesby before. Like, the, the Bob Bowlesby that we have seen that ran, runs the Big 12 is vanilla, right? He's the dude that mm -hmm. we dunk on for Oklahoma having so many 11 a.m. kicks, right? We're, he's the dude that we say, hey, why don't you fight more for the Big 12? Or can you come up with a better argument for the Big 12 other than the bowl, the, the bowl records of the Big 12 teams? Because, you know, that ain't very good either. Seeing Bob Bowlesby be a s saber rattler was not on the card either. So like I said, I've, I've scratched bingo out like six times on the 2020 card. So knowing that we have these power five or I see power three commissioners that want to play ball, that are going to try to play ball, I'm with you as well because the only way that this gets worse is if you don't get to finish the season. Because I can't see anybody trying to mount a spring season even right now. And I certainly can't see it if you got to cancel the season, say mid-October, early November. I, I just don't. I think everybody's going to have to shut it down and wait until next year because now you're truncating some things and you're forcing some issues that are going to have some long-term ramifications beyond pandemic, right? Beyond vaccines, beyond controlling the, the outbreaks. Like, you can cripple the sport right now if you screw this up. And, and I wanted to underscore that. Do you think I'm, I'm being an alarmist there too? No, I think you're right. Okay, because... This is my big thing, right? So you brought up spring football, and I'm so glad that you did. There is no way in hell that spring fall football, just no way. I have a hard time believing that that is going to happen and it's going to happen effectively. So then, if football is going to be a lost cause, which I hope it is, just go for it in the fall, man. And if you can't go for it in the fall, just don't. It's a bummer the fact that so many people aren't on the same page right now when it comes to these issues. I maybe that's just the nature of what we're dealing with, and it's as simple as that. But I understand they're trying to come up with creative solutions. I just don't think spring football is the right way to do this, and I think a lot of these players are trying to indicate that with some of these opt-outs. 
But in the end, I mean, we're still on this collision course to complete unknown. And it's just, it's a shame that people want to try and be uniform with some sort of fall football season. And people insist on pushing this thing towards the spring and just seeing what happens. Goodness me. Yeah, we'll we'll find out how that goes for the FCS, I think, more than we'll find out how that goes for the Big Ten and the Pac-12 because there's no, like nobody in the Big Ten wants to play spring football for any reason whatsoever, especially knowing now that the NCAA Football Oversight Committee, led by Shane Lyons, West Virginia Athletic Director, is proposing not to let early enrollees play in the spring and not to let anybody that played in the fall play in the spring. So that's how they're going to try to curtail that while also freezing eligibility, which is going to create a different kind of cluster next year because – you know, some, some people want to bring in 25 kids. They might have, I don't know, 25 seniors that want to stay. Like, this is an interesting year for Oklahoma because there are only, there are only like, two seniors, I want to say, on the defensive side of the ball. And because of that, like, there's, there's a crap ton of juniors, right, or third-year players. Oklahoma could be stacked in 21 and 22, depending on how they decide to do this eligibility thing because they're so young. Like, this is exactly the year for a Big 12, an SEC, or an ACC team to field a mostly sophomore and junior football team because now Rattler's got an extra year, right? Uh, Jade Hazelwood's got an extra year. Theo Weiss has an extra year. Deshaun White has an extra year. Like, can you imagine how good this team might be in 21 and 22 if it breaks to be like, we're just going to ask you not to, uh, we're just going to ask that you make room with your seniors if you want to bring in freshmen. Like, I've only started to wrap my mind around that and how much that's going to suck for Big Ten and Pac-12 teams who don't get the extra reps, who get 12-hour practices where Oklahoma gets 20-hour practices in a week, who aren't playing for anything worthwhile, and who are trying to cobble this together, by the way, in the middle of a environmental catastrophe going on in the state of California right now where it's quite literally changing the color of the sky. Goodness me. Like, do you have you even thought about what the ramifications of what we're doing right now will look like in 21, 22, 23? Yeah, I think you're going to have to. And, like, not only because of what you're talking about when it, when it comes to the roster management, but the recruiting aspect of this. I mean, the supply and demand of, of scholarship opportunities, especially to major universities like Oklahoma, is going to be absolutely insane to keep up with. I mean, it's just going to be simply limited, and limited is probably the understatement of the century, because how, how are you going to go about planning for I, I, taking 20 kids in, in 22 or 23 when you could have almost everybody back who's like a junior and they can go play for another two years. I, it's a, I have yet to really figure out and like comprehend just how insane the situation is with this extra eligibility thing. But I also like in the midst of my attempt to try to come to terms with it, I feel terrible for the recruits, right? I mean, this is going to shut kids out left and right. And I think, the NCAA is going to have to find a way to navigate this situation in the future. Because, I mean, we talk about what does it mean for 22-23. I don't think the schools can put that on their shoulders. The NCAA is going to have to figure out a way to allow these programs some sort of reprieve because it's taking away a bunch of dudes' opportunities to go play D1 college ball while you're letting a bunch of other guys just kind of figure it out for themselves how long they want to stay at a, at a university. It's just it's a messy situation. I don't necessarily know how we got here. And I don't really know what it's going to look like in the future. But in the now, man, it is freaking insane to just talk about. Yeah, man. Like, I am I'm interested to see how many kids get taken by the Power 5 schools and then which one of those kids yeah. have to go play in the Belt or Conference USA or the Southland and how much stronger those programs might get. To say nothing of the FCS powers like Richmond, North Dakota State, Kennesaw State – and the like, because like this could, again, reshape everything we know about college football, which as a storyteller of college football, I'm excited about. On the other hand, you know, there's human cost all over the place to say nothing of the financial strain that we are going to put on the sport itself. Uh, I, 
like we started out like with no energy and have somehow made it to an hour, Colin. Like I'm very proud of us. <laughs> yeah, man, I was dead when we were coming into this thing, but look, it's football talk, right? It gets us out of us. So I'm, I'm excited to be doing these. I'm glad we're back in the groove of the season, man. It's going to be fun talking football every week with you. So I can't wait to see what happens come Saturday, and I can't wait to recap it here pretty soon. Amen. That is Colin Kennedy. Follow him on Twitter at ckennedy247. That is ckennedy247. Dropping news and notes at ouinsider.com. Now is a great time to join up at ouinsider.com as a VIP member where my man Brandon Drum is dropping insider notes every single damn day they are robust they are long the man does not sleep he only lives to report this stuff i'm very excited to be over there i think you can get in like uh for like 60 percent off the normal pricing now so like take advantage of that folks we'll be back to talk about this probably like the very next day due to post game show and then we'll talk again to set you up for the bye week and get into what we think is going to be a wild Big 12 season. I have deleted my Twitter account. We'll talk to you next time. Deuces.